be seated. Like I uh, said in announcements, we're uh, starting a new series today called The Cast of Christmas. And uh, I do kind of want to point out uh, the piano over here uh, that we're going to be slowly as we uh, cover the different kind of cast members of this, uh, the greatest story ever told, uh, the story of Jesus. We're going to be adding uh, nativity parts to it uh, as we go. So it'll be a little subtle thing, but I wanted to point it out to you. Uh, if anybody wanted to ask after the service, where's the baby Jesus? He will be placed, I promise you. So uh, the story is about him. So uh, let's go ahead and pray together and uh, then uh, we'll get into this, right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story um, that there are so many uh, people in this room that our lives have been forever altered and changed by, by this story. Uh, that, that we're talking about uh, today. And uh, I want to pray for the people that haven't been changed and transformed by it, that they would see uh, your gospel of grace, they would see your son Jesus, and that they too would be changed as a result. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I think uh, buying gifts uh, can be really, really stressful. How many of you would put yourself under the stressed out category when it comes to buying? There are a couple of you, all right. Some people get really, really stressed out by it because you don't know what to buy. You don't know if they'll like it. Will they appreciate it? Should I even get it for them? And there can be a lot of anxiety uh, when it comes to buying gifts, especially I think with, with men, if I can do kind of a gender role here thing for just for a minute. Uh, I read a study one time uh, that kind of hooked up machine, heart machines and stuff to guys as they were grocery shopping. Now, this isn't Christmas shopping, but grocery shopping. And they found that the anxiety level that men face in the grocery store was not unlike what you would expect to see in a soldier in a battle, right? That's how stressed out we get by it. And so, and, and I think that when it comes to gift buying, you especially have to be careful if you're going to buy a gift for someone that comes with a responsibility, right? So if you're a grandparent here today or an aunt or an uncle or whatever, and you're thinking about buying a dog or buying a cat or buying a goldfish or buying a gift with an accompanying, accompanying responsibility from a parent, please ask first. Just ask. The answer is going to be no. The answer is going to be no. Um, because the child isn't receiving a goldfish. The mom and the dad are receiving a goldfish, right? The child's not receiving a dog. The parents are receiving a dog. And so, you know, th th that you want to be careful about giving a gift like that. And as we start this Christmas series, this is where we are in our story, that God is going to give two people in this story, Mary and Joseph, the incredible, an incredible gift of his son, being Jesus's earthly mom and dad. And it is a gift to be sure, but boy, it is also a responsibility. Think about Mary and Joseph just for a minute, right? They're all happy right now without the baby praying, right? They know that baby's coming though. And, and there's an enormous sense of responsibility. Some of you remember your first child in particular. There was all this buildup to the baby being born and parties and gifts and doing the gift registry at Target. And it, and it was so much fun. And then there came a time where that baby was born and the nurse handed that baby to you and did this crazy thing of walking out of the room. <laughs> they just left. 
And you were holding this baby. This baby was yours now to, to, to feed and raise and train. It is beautiful and it's terrifying. Now put yourself, <clears throat> put yourself, excuse me, in God's shoes just for a minute that you as God, you're ready to execute your plan to save the world. So I'm gonna send my son Jesus and you could send your son Jesus to literally any parents on the planet. How do you choose? Our human nature would say that, well, God would surely choose a trusted and respected rabbi because God knew Jesus was going to be a teacher. He was going to be a rabbi. So it would be important to him uh, to, that Jesus would be surrounded by the best education he could possibly get. Some of you would say, no, no, no. Jesus, when God was trying to choose the perfect, he would choose an influential leader because God knew that Jesus would be trying to change the entire world. And so a level of influence in government, a level of influence in religion would probably be helpful. You say, no, no, as God's trying to choose the parents for Jesus, he would choose a wealthy family because God knew that Jesus was gonna be in the ministry and uh, he, he wouldn't have a home base and that tight and finances would be tight and difficult. So it would be nice to have some family support. God didn't do any of those things. As a matter of fact, I want to show you a clip from a movie that we watch every year called Four Christmases. And uh, this is a, a story about a, a young couple that they come up with excuses every year to not spend Christmas with their family. Every year they come up with a reason. We're gonna, and mostly it's missionary work that they're telling their family they're doing, right? We're going to go feed kids in Indonesia. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna get a, and they're really going on vacation. That's what they're doing. But they're getting out of family Christmas. And one year, there's a huge fog that comes into San Francisco, and they're not able to go. And so the name of the movie is Four Christmases. That because of no fault of their own, now they have to go to every member of their family and celebrate Christmas as a family, and there's this scene where they go to her, mom's, uh, to her mom's Christmas celebration, and they go to Christmas Day service at her church. And the church is doing a live nativity. We're gonna show you a nativity clip every, every uh, Sunday of this series. They go to her mom's church, that's kind of a charismatic church, but they're gonna do this live nativity, and Reese Witherspoon, who plays the mom, gets chosen for Mary, and her boyfriend, Vince Vaughn, gets chosen for Joseph, and so they're gonna be placed into this live nativity, and Reese Witherspoon's character has a crippling stage fright. Doesn't wanna be on stage, doesn't wanna speak. Vince Vaughn has the opposite. Uh, he wants to be impressive. He wants to get people laughing. He wants the show to be about him. And so you're going to see this portrayal of Mary and Joseph. This is not what you're about to see, why God chose Mary and Joseph. Take a look at this clip. So yeah, not exactly the way the biblical narrative uh, plays out. Uh, let, let me ask you, why do you think God did choose this couple, Mary and, and Joseph? Uh, um, what we're going to see today is they're not educated, they're not rich, they don't have lots of influence, yet God chooses them to reveal his plan to them, and God chooses them to raise, to, to raise his son in one of the most powerful stories in human history. Why? And here's why it's so significant. Some of us here today would say, man, I want to be a difference maker in the people of my life. I want God to use me. I want God to reveal himself to me, but I don't have power. I don't have influence. I don't have money. And I would say to you, based on this story, you might be exactly where God wants you to be. 
Here's where we are in the story. Mary's found out she's pregnant with Jesus. And of course, the first question is, how is this possible since I'm a virgin? Her first question is physiological. Her second question, though, is spiritual, which is where we want to focus our time today. It's, why would God use me? Why would God choose me? And I'm thankful she says that, that she, she asked the question, why would God do this marvelous thing in my life? And she goes on to sing this song, and I want to read this text to you. It's often called Mary's Song. I want to read it to you. I'm not going to sing it to you, but I want to read it to you. Uh, and, and by the end of this song, I think we'll start to understand what the qualities were in Mary that God saw instead of all the women in the world, of all the people in the world, this is the person I want to raise my son Jesus. This is who his mother is going to be. And here's what she says, uh, here's the song that she sings. Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary was used by God not because of her immense financial resources, not because of her incredible political connections, not because of her understanding of Old Testament law, but Mary was chosen by God to be used because of her humble faith. Now that might sound like I'm trying to put two phrases together that don't typically go together on their own, but these phrases really do go together. Humble faith. Humble describes Mary's view of herself. Right? She know, you'll notice in verse 48 uh, that she describes the state of her life as humble because of the humble state of her education, her social status, her financial resources, that Mary wasn't under some false pretense that she could handle any problem that came her way. She wouldn't uh, cling to herself in moments of great trial and difficulty. You say, well, are you, it sounds like Mary had a self-esteem problem. Are you saying Mary had a self-esteem problem? No, that's not what humility is. Mary understood that she was loved and that she was created by God. You see that in the song. But she understood in a powerful way that he was God, God was God, and that she was not. And that can be a very humbling thought. Mary understood that she needed God every day for her sense of meaning, for her sense of purpose, to make a difference, to overcome obstacles in her life. That Mary understood that she needed God. So humility describes her view of herself. Humble faith, though, the faith part of it, describes her view of God. Look at the way she describes him, that he is Lord, that he is God, he is the mighty one. All these phrases that she uses to describe him, and she understood that while she didn't have to dig deep into her own humanity and make things happen on her own power, she also understood that with God, all things are possible and that God can use any person. See, God doesn't need a person with tons of money. He owns everything. He doesn't need someone with great power. All power and authority belong to him. He doesn't need someone with worldly influence. He's in control of everything and everyone at every time. 
And I think this is a huge step in this understanding humility is this Christ-centered, worshipful attitude that when God becomes big, the bigger your God becomes, the smaller I become. And God is looking for people with a humble faith that will say very simply like Mary did, I need God. I need him. I can't do it on my own. I can't navigate life on my own. I can't overcome obstacles on my own. I can't make a difference on my own. If God is going to use me, if God is going to move in me, if God is going to make a difference in me and through me, I need him. You may remember when your kids or your grandkids were learning to walk. There's always this moment when a kid is learning to walk where at some point they're at some place in the room where they have pulled themselves up on their own. And a lot of times they'll let go with one hand and they'll move away like this and all of a sudden they realize they're stuck. And they don't know how to walk yet and they're holding onto this thing. They don't know how to get back with their other hand and they're just stuck. And mom and dad are watching like, walk, come on, walk to me. And the baby's like, I ain't doing it. This is beyond me. I'm not doing it. And they will start to scream like they are being disemboweled. Right? It is a fearful, terrifying cry because why? They know they need their mom and dad in that moment. And sometimes in our humanity, we want to do all the walking on our own. I will pull myself up. I will let go of the ledge. I will walk on my own, by my own power. I will muster up whatever internal thing I need to muster up and I will accomplish great things. I will overcome my obstacles. I don't need anyone or anything. And I think sometimes God is saying to us, would you cry out for me? You do need me. You do need me. And I stand right there across the room as you're holding on to that ledge. You know what no parent does? They, not, they don't start laughing at their kid and refuse to come. Right? When the kid, you know, it's like, no, just walk. You're, you know, one. I, what's the problem? Right? No, they run over. They pick them up. They train them a little bit more on how to walk. And eventually the child does learn. But I think God right now is at times saying to us, you don't have to do everything on your own. I'm with you. I'm for you. My spirit resides in you. Come with humility to me and let me pick you up. And I think when that becomes real to us, when we have a very simple, simple theological truth that I need God, I am not enough. My resources are not enough. My education is not enough. My willpower is not enough. My strength is not enough. I am not enough. This is not a message that is received well in our culture right now. But that when we come to this humble, I am not enough. But with God, God in me, working through me, helping me, empowering me, I am. And I will warn you that in the Bible, the Bible warns that it is difficult for God to use people that are self-sufficient. Self-sufficiency is a trait that is celebrated only in our culture. It is not celebrated in the Bible, right? A sense of self-sufficiency that my intellect is enough. My financial stability is enough. My willpower is enough. Most of us kind of have this attitude, this thing in us as Americans that if it's broken, I'll fix it. If I need to make a difference, I'll do it on my own. If it requires power, I'll dig into my inner child and I'll get the power. I'll take care of it. I'll solve the problem. I've got it under control. I'm the man. I'm the woman. And God stands at a distance. It's hard for me to use that. Because I want to accomplish something that is bigger than you. 
that is bigger than your checkbook, that is bigger than your understanding, that is bigger than your intellect, that is bigger than your willpower, and you won't let me because you're so focused on getting it done yourself. Mary was humble. She understood the, the station of life that she was in, and she understood partly because of that station in life, she understood that she needed her God. She needed God to sustain her. She needed God to help her. She needed God to empower her. And if she was going to take on this role in particular, she knew, I think, better than anyone, which is after it's revealed that she's going to have the Christ, she sings this song. She's like, now I really need God. This is bigger than me. This is stronger than me. This is more than I can do on my own. I need God to work in me and through me. That's Mary. Now let's talk about Joseph, which wildly inaccurate portrayal, all right? So that we, we saw there, right? All right, so let's look at how the Bible describes the, Joseph. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, <clears throat> she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her uh, publicly, so he decided to break off the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. So Mary, in Mary we see this humility this attitude that says, I don't have to do it on my own. I don't have to be it on my own. I don't have to overcome on my own. God is with me and I need God. You see this humble faith. With Joseph, <clears throat> you see this idea that he was a righteous man. Now, this is very much a church word. This righteousness word is a church word. And it could mean, in a lot of texts, it does mean our standing with God because of grace. That God in his grace has said to us, I declare you righteous. You may sin, you may screw up, but I forgive your sin and you are made righteous by my grace. But righteousness other times is a call on our life to be a righteous, holy people. So for the purposes of this sermon, what it means to be righteous, when we say Joseph was a righteous man, he is committed to doing what is right. So let's talk a little bit about the righteousness of Joseph. All right? The first question the righteous person ever asks in any decision they're trying to make, any path they're trying to for, uh, path, uh, path they're trying to plot forward, anything like that, the first question they ask is, "Has God spoken?" Now, you can imagine for a time in this text how difficult this was for Moses because he has no idea how this baby came to be. He only knows that he was not a contributor. So he's decided to divorce Mary, which was required at this stage in their courtship. By Jewish law, uh, the law permitted it, but the text says he hasn't done it yet because he's considering his decision. I think he's confused about what to do. And this can be a really hard place to be in. Because while there are many commands in the Bible, and the, 
and, and many things that the Bible says, the Bible doesn't address every situation we find ourselves in, every decision we need to make. So sometimes there are these moments in life where we just don't know what to do. Should I take the job? Should I move? Should I marry this person? Should I set up a boundary with this person? What should I do? And there is no first opinions 318 to check, right? It's not, the Bible doesn't say specifically in your situation exactly what you should do. And while that's true, the Bible does not lay out every scenario you will face. We have been given the Holy Spirit who's called the spirit of wisdom to lead us. We also are in a community of believers that helps us in our decision-making. But in the story of Joseph, there seems to be this time before the angel comes when he doesn't know what God wants him to do. How does he decide what he's going to do? Well, his primary concern when he doesn't know what what God says about it, his primary concern in that moment seems to be, how can I love Mary the best way? Right? He doesn't want to subject her to public disgrace. This is great. When there isn't a clear command and you don't feel like the Bible has really articulated what you should do in your unique situation, when God hasn't spoken clearly and you don't know what God requires, a great question for you to ask is, all right, I don't know what God requires. What does love require? What does it look like to love well? What does it look like? Because that's going to get you pretty close. God is love. That's going to get you pretty close to what God would do. So when you don't know what God would do or what God requires of you, just ask the question, what does love require of me? Paul says in 1 Corinthians that love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Where you don't know specifically what God wants you to do in a situation, you can ask, what does patience look like? What does kindness look like? What does humility look like? What does protection look like? What does the truth look like? What does hope look like? So sometimes I think where we don't feel pinned in by the scriptures, right? where there's not a specific verse that addresses our specific situation, sometimes we can give ourselves permission to be a less than great version of ourselves. That, well, if the Bible doesn't clearly speak, I'm going to quit my job tomorrow in a really dramatic and harsh way. Or I'm going to end this relationship the way I've been wanting to end it, in a cruel way. Or I'm going to set up a boundary in a really passive-aggressive way. And Joseph shows us, no, no, no. If you don't know what to do, that's okay. If you don't feel like in your unique situation, God's been clear, that's okay. If you don't know what the Bible would say you should do, and, or you know what you want to do and the Bible doesn't contradict it, that's okay. You are still required, and I am still required, to ask an equally important question. What does love require of me? So I'm going to and this relationship or find a different job. What, as I make this decision that I don't feel the Bible contradicts or commands against or, or whatever the case may be, what, I don't feel like the Bible addresses it at all. What does love require of me as I make these decisions? Now, we know for Joseph, this was a short-term situation. It was a season he went through where he didn't know because God wanted to make it super clear what this man should do. So he didn't just write a Bible verse that maybe we would just skip over or whatever. 
sent an angel, right? He sends an angel to Joseph, and the situation changes now where God has spoken. And once God had spoken, here's what the righteous person does. He did as he was commanded. Honestly, if I'm being totally honest with you, I think in most situations we know what God wants us to do. There are some that are matters of opinion and matters where we don't really know, but I think a lot of times we know what God wants us to do, we know what he said, we know what he desires, and the question is not what does God require, we kind of know what he requires. The question is harder, will I obey? Will I obey? Will I be like Joseph? When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. This is why Joseph's described as a righteous man. He's a man of clear conviction and clear courage. Because can I tell you something? Obeying God fully takes great courage. This, what we're doing right now, this is easy. Listening to me is not easy. But this, right, getting together, singing, watching a funny movie clip, you know, yeah, you know hearing stories about my kids and you know, all that. That's easy. But when we decide we're going to follow God's commands, even when we're dif- difficult, even when they're difficult, that takes courage. When you say, I'm going to follow him wherever he leads me. Even when it goes to a scary place, that takes courage. When I'm going to partner with God to achieve his mission instead of mine, that takes courage. When I decide that I'm going to share my faith with my friends and those around the world, that takes courage. And Joseph was a man of courage. And he decided that when he knew what God wanted, right, before he knew what God wanted, it's like, I'm going to do what love requires, I love Mary. I'm going to do what love requires. But once he knew what God wanted him to do, once he knew, that took courage. And these stories are all throughout your Bible. You think about the story of Abraham that a lot of times we just read quickly. God says, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and start walking. God, where am I walking to? I'll let you know when you get there. You, your job is to start walking. And in a moment of great courage, Abraham, you can imagine him going to his wife. Surprise, we're moving. Yeah, right? Yeah. Where are we moving to, Abraham? The beach? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. But we're going to pack up everything and we're going to start walking. He, He did it. The story of Moses where God calls Moses to confront an evil dictator. Can you imagine? And walk into Pharaoh and demand, God told me to tell you, let his people go. And it took him a while to get there. But think about the personal courage that took. The story of David and how God called David to confront a giant. uh, and, And David goes and he does it and he picks up a slingshot and he defeats that giant. The story of the early apostles and the disciples that God called them to leave their homes and their families and go to the ends of the earth to share his gospel. And in these moments of great courage, they went, many of them lost their lives. I love what the writer of Hebrews says about this. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets 
who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead and were raised to life again. What a great story to tell. Shut the mouths of lions, beat people in battle, took the land, had great courage and victory. But that's not the end of the story. There were others who were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith. Yet not one of them received what was promised, since God had planned something better for us, that only together with us would they be made perfect. That passage moves me. Because it is one thing to show courage as you're shutting the mouths of lions, as you're winning victories, as you're taking land, as you're personally prospering, and you're being faithful and obedient to what God has called you to. But it is one thing to show courage and victory. It is another thing to show courage and perceived defeat. That they are tortured. They are beaten. They are imprisoned. They never saw the promised land. That is a different level of faith. The world was not worthy of them. And so Joseph, he's not this, but he is called to this moment of courage that was going to be hard and difficult, and he said yes to it. And you may be tempted to say, fine, Moses, Abraham, David, the early apostles. Steve, here's what I want you to know. They were special. They had something that I don't have. They accomplished things I could never accomplish, and I 100% disagree with you. David was a shepherd. Abraham was a farmer. Moses was raised in a palace of royalty. Those royal guys are not exactly known for their courage. And some of the early apostles were fishermen. Joseph, in our story, was a carpenter. This was not part of their like core DNA. You're not born with a courage DNA. It wasn't just part of their personality. You know who these were? These stories, we see them as heroes of the faith, but you know who they really were in their day? They were people. I studied all week for that point. They were people. Like you, like me, people, working jobs, earning a living, living their life. They were people. And God called them. And the reason you know their story is because they responded with faith and they responded with courage. These are not special people, they're just people. They're just people like you and like me, who responded to God's call on their life with faith and courage. Will you? Here's the deal with you and me. Someday this thing that you're facing, 
Someday this thing that you're going through right now, this thing right now, today, that you're going through, someday this will be a story you tell. Someday this will just be a story you tell. It will be a story your kids tell. It will be a story maybe your grandkids tell. Someday this will just be a story to tell. Think about the story they had. Oh my goodness. We were minding our own business. An angel appeared. We raised the son of God. And we did a pretty good job at it. He turned out great. Nature nurture, right? Someday, this won't be your story, obviously. Someday this thing will just be a story you tell. Can you and will you make sure it's a good one? Tell a good story. Tell a good story of a time when you were facing overwhelming odds and you kept your faith. A time when you were called to do something hard and you showed great courage. A time when you weren't sure what to do and you humbly relied on God. A time that you were thinking about giving up and you refused. A time when you were faithful and humble and courageous. You right now are living what will someday just be another story you tell. Tell a good one. Tell a good one. This is our chance at this. Tell a good story. A story of faithfulness. A story of courage. A story of service. Right now you are living your story. Make sure it's a good one. Don't have your story be, I complained, I complained, I complained, and then I died. I was selfish, I was selfish, I was selfish, and then I died. I live for me, I live for me, I live for me, and then I died. Tell a better story. Tell a better story than that. A story where you love well, you serve courageously, you show faithfulness, you show up in your people's lives. Tell a great story for your kids and your grandkids. And if you're sucking breath, it's not too late for you. If you're looking back and you're going, man, I have not told a good story, tell a better one. Serve, love, be faithful, and watch what God does when we are humble and faithful like Mary and we are righteous and courageous like Joseph. Amazing things happen. This is admittedly a unique story. You won't get this chance, sorry. Right, unique story. When Jesus returns, he's not coming as a baby, sorry, right? But you have a story right now that you are living and we could go around this room and we could all share what it is. I got this thing at work. I've got this thing in my family. I've got this thing with my health. I've got this thing financially. And someday it will be in the rearview mirror and it will just be a story. Make sure that when your kids and your grandkids gather around, make sure you are telling a good one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Right now, we are in the midst of our story. Would you help us, like Mary and Joseph, to tell a good one? It may not have the drama that theirs had. It may not have the obstacles because of the nation that we live in that other people have faced. But may the stories that we tell be great stories. 
stories where we overcame, stories where we were faithful, stories where we were generous, stories where we were loving, stories where we made a difference, stories where we reached out when nobody else reached out. May we tell good stories. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. You are able to do this. You know, um, the Old Testament people that I highlighted in the sermon, we would say about them, oh man, Steve, it would be so much easier for me if I was sleeping in the middle of the night tonight and I woke up and an angel was like, take the job. Marry her, you idiot, right? That, that, you know, it's like decision-making would be so much easier if I just woke up and an angel was like, move, dude. How many more signs do you need? Move. It would be easier. You know what they would say about you? You have the resurrected Christ. And you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. How much more do you need to tell a great story, they would say. You have those two. You have the resurrected Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. How much more do you need? And so we, we look on them with jealousy. They look on us with jealousy and nobody's exactly right, right? But I know that we can do what we're describing in this text because of what we're about to celebrate in this moment. This amazing story that came out of this. The story of Jesus who lived and died and resurrected. What a great story he tells and so as we take his, the bread that represents his body and the juice that represents his blood, I want us to just internalize the story that he tells so that we can live better stories. And may we leave today motivated to tell better stories with our lives and our decisions. Uh, so we're going to pass the emblems out. You can just hold on to those and just thank God for his story. Thank God for the way he's working in your life so that you can tell better stories and I can tell better stories. And then I'll come back up in just a minute and we'll receive communion together as a church family. His body given for you. His blood poured out. Jesus, God, we thank you for your story. May we tell better stories because of yours. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We stand. We're going to close with one last song. If you're here today and you have uh, questions about faith or about our church or about Christ, a couple of our elders are going to be in the overflow right over here. They'd love to meet you after church and talk with you a little bit. Uh, really glad that, that you're here this Christmas as we're kind of walking through some of the different characters, and uh, we'll continue uh, next week. God bless you guys. Have a great week ahead.